0: Of the Rental Journal podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today we actually have two guests. We have Steve Painter and Michelle Lee Summers, both from SiteSmart. Now, we've actually had a few listeners reach out and want to have a few more guests in the technology space on the podcast. And as I was scrolling through LinkedIn, I saw that SiteSmart did a few things around pre-starts and plant dockets and timesheets, trying to digitize them. But the one thing that really jumped out at me was the ability to attach QR codes to equipment and then store information against it. So I thought, why not get SiteSmart on the podcast, learn about what they do and how they can help uh, the construction industry and the equipment rental industry. So Michelle Lee and Steve, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. And to kick things off, can you talk to me about how you first became involved in the construction industry, specifically around technology?
1: So I guess I'll start. Um, so we've been in to- technology for about the last 13 years and uh, we had a mutual friend um, that was, um, I guess, he was a coach of ours and he introduced us to our co-founder um, who was in construction and um, in talking to him, we just got talking to him and we sort of started to really understand kind of what the technology landscape in the construction industry looked like and that it really it really needed something else. And so that's sort of how we started slowly getting into our deep dive and research and understanding what exactly we could do. So we very quickly worked out that there was definitely a, something we could do here and we just had to work out what it was.
2: Yeah. G'day listeners. Uh, I'm Steve. And like Michelle said, it was around 2017 where uh, through a mutual friend, we were contacted uh, by our co-founder. And back then it was very plant centric, the idea of creating um, some software for the construction industry. And I think the initial talks were a couple of spreadsheets and a couple of hand drawings on what it might look like on a mobile and what it should look like on the web. And yeah, it went from there. Initially, it was myself and, and our co-founder. And uh, yeah, we went back for months going back and forth with designs. And and it was basically me really trying to understand the industry. We, As Michelle said, we'd been in technology at that point for a good 10 years. Had nothing to do with construction. And yeah, it was a real big learning curve those first six months to a year of trying to understand what the pitfalls are what what actually is required what's missing what's out there already what exists and um how we could make an impact on the industry
0: okay and so you said the prior software like what was that serving was that a completely different industry what we did
2: yeah yeah mate yeah so we we at the time we were building a platform for uh, retail so as i said we've been in technology we've built uh, gaming applications we've built websites, we've done uh, shopping platforms, we've done a whole bunch of other technologies. And it was really that connection between our co-founder back in 2017 that really pulled us towards a construction industry. And we thought, okay, our skill set can be really used in this industry and we can really make a change.
0: Okay. So it might be good to give the listeners a bit of background on the actual history of SiteSmart and the evolution of the, of the company itself.
1: Okay. So I guess when we first start, like Steve said, we were quite plant centric. So we were focused on creating the software that fully serves the plant. So the maintenance and the pre-starts and all the documents and, and really properly um, serves the plant. Because what we found when we looked at the market is that there wasn't much out there that was adequately doing it. That everything was kind of half doing it, slightly touching on it. But it wasn't it wasn't enough for anyone to rely on um, that alone for their plant. So what we saw is that basically it was a patchwork of software. So if anyone was using uh, softwares, they tend to use two or three softwares to do it. And very often that wound up in the too hard basket. So they wound up doing things by paper and, and by hand and across spreadsheets and stuff like that. So initially we we were our goal was to make Complete a complete system for plant, and then we very quickly realized that that just wasn't going to be enough in this in the um, market. We really needed to include people in it and the efficiencies in the business. So, so now we're not just plant; we're plant, we're people, and we bring in the business element as well. So the idea is to give the whole three hundred and sixty degrees.
0: Okay, and so when you say plant, people, and efficiencies how does that, does that also integrate with other systems? So if someone's running like an ERP solution for their financials, does your operational system integrate with that or is it completely separate? Like how does it work in that sense then?
2: Yeah, so at this stage of our development, everything that we've built, we've allowed to be able to be exported out into uh, like a spreadsheet. So then you can then upload it into your other systems. We try to make the system as um, flexible as possible to be able to work with, I guess you can call them legacy softwares or softwares that they use uh, to run their business. In the future, we will will build APIs to plug into all of those legacy softwares. At the moment, we're more focusing on building out functionality and our ecosystem of products, like Michelle was saying, so the whole people and an operations arm to be able to allow you know, uh, construction companies to run and operate their business efficiently and be able to, to tick all those maintenance and compliance and safety boxes.
0: Yeah, so something that actually caught my eye on your website when I was doing a bit of research on SiteSmart was the implementation of QR code as stickers on machines. Uh, so do you just want to talk through what the purpose of those are and how those are used?
2: So from the outset, when we were doing our research, we realized that accessibility is a massive sticking point when it comes to other softwares out there. Being able to simply and efficiently be able to access data, um, whether it be someone on the, an operator, for example, or someone, an admin in the office. And what we realized is that the construction industry is very fast moving. You've got plant going from one site to another, back in the workshop, back out, needs to be serviced, it's everywhere. And all of those stakeholders need access to that data. So what we thought is having a QR code system that everything to do with that asset would be held behind that QR code. And it could be very quickly and simply accessed through our app by just scanning it. And all of a sudden, it's all there in your hand. Yeah,
0: so do you want to talk through... Because the listeners will be quite interested to understand when you say when you scan, all the information is behind it. Like what's examples of this information that the, is it the end user can get or is it the end customer? Like who who's scanning this application or this QR code?
2: I'll answer from a technical aspect. And I think you'd be really good from your design perspective. When they scan the QR code, what's there is all the documentation, anything to do with maintenance. So maintenance history, breakdowns, service reports, all of that. Then you've got your registrations, compliance documents, risk assessments. But basically, you can upload any document that you think is critical to do with that plant. It can be an operator's manual. We have 300-page operator's manual that we've loaded in behind that QR code because, you know, that is on a lot of Tier 1 construction sites. That's something that you need access to. Uh, So anything that's uh, critical to do with that plant, you can stick behind in stick behind that QR code in the profile. And Michelle's designed it in such a way that it's extremely simple and intuitive to use from the end user being someone on the ground. It can be anyone walking past the machine that has the app that can scan just to view, or it's the person behind, you know, maybe the admin or the plant owner at his desk, looking at his laptop. He can also view that and They're both completely different views and Michelle can can speak about uh, the usability.
1: Yeah, so in, in terms of like usability, so the basic problem as we understood it when we did our research is that accessibility to documentation is really crucial. And what I basically heard in my user interviews over and over again is there's a lot of where's this document, where's this maintenance record, where's the registration, and people are storing it in multiple places and then someone in the field needs something and they're having to call the office. And basically there's this whole mess and documents are getting lost and that's causing machines to be kicked off sites and cases. And so just a lot of problems around accessibility of documents. So what we wanted is a system where if you've got the machine, you're never missing a document all of the documents are sitting there on the machine and we're gonna track the currency. So if something happens, so the you know, the risk assessment expires, immediately the person tracking that risk assessment gets a notification, hey, this this, this risk assessment's coming up for um, expiring soon. You can even set it up. So your mechanic that does that risk assessment gets a bing on their phone and they know where the machine is and to come down and to do that risk assessment now. So the idea is that we want that plant to be current with all its documentations at all times and for all of those documents to be at everyone's fingertips, whether it be the project's fingertips, the plant operator's fingertips or the um, plant owner's fingertips. And then the other thing is, so that's just the documentation element of it. And then the other side of it is like, so the, the maintenance tracking, whether it's in service and stuff, and then also all the actions behind it. So you want to do a plant docket. You want to do a pre-start. So everything to do with that machine must always be ready for action. And the machine must be site ready at all times.
0: And if, if they're doing like a, a JV with another project and that construction company, that other construction company wants to see the history of that particular machine to let it get on site, can other yep. people outside of that organization also scan that QR code?
1: Yeah, so they can or what you can do is you can just induct them and the induction allows instant access for them. So there's two ways. They can go up to scan the machine. You obviously have to be physically with the machine. So that's not particularly usable. What you would want to do is induct that machine onto that project and then immediately um, that project's got it either on their phone or on their web because in this industry, this is the other thing, right? It's not good enough to you do need things accessible on a computer, right? Because you'll need the big screen for some actions. But that's not good enough in this industry. In this industry, everything needs to be available in the field at all times and easily. So that's why we have the workers app and the managers app. So when, um, so if you induct a machine onto a particular project, the managers can easily see all of that information. And also it's exportable. So say they don't want to download the app or they don't want to look at it that way, Download, send it. You can send it straight from the app.
0: Hmm. Okay. And so a question that a lot of listeners are probably going to have is around actually implementing a QR code system. Because I have seen a few businesses struggle with label printers figuring out how to link QR codes back to plan, all that sort of stuff. So did you want to just give the thousand foot view on, on how do you deliver QR codes to a machine? Let's put it as the simple, simple way.
2: Yeah. Okay. So this is another part. So every aspect of what we've built, we've made sure and tested it and, uh, uh, to the, the standards that the construction industry needs. So, for example, the QR codes, we've gone and found a supplier that can make proper uh, decal style sheets for us. And our system automatically creates a QR code when the profile is created. We then send out all those QR codes. This is all a part of the onboarding process when you sign up for SiteSmart. We create all of the profiles and send out all the stickers or we can come out and actually fix the stickers to the, the plant themselves. But it's not just one sticker. It's all about being able to access it simply. So we actually have a sheet of stickers and this. Each plant has about eight QR code stickers that they can stick inside the cab, outside the cab, anywhere around the machine. And these, you know, constantly these machines are getting washed, high pressure hosed, all that sort of stuff. These, I've still got stickers that are lasting three plus years without a scratch on them, gone through, you know, degreasing, high pressure hosing, all that sort of stuff. And um, they're also really uh, nice and big and, and bright so everyone can see where they are. And again, it's very simple. You just scan the QR code and everything's accessible behind that on the app.
0: So what's the so let's just say a business is onboarding fifty assets a month, for example. Yep. Uh, yep. After the after the actual onboarding process, do they have to go via you to get those QR codes? And what's the ETA on the delivery to get those QR codes then?
2: Yeah. So we have customers all around the country. Customer up in uh, northern Sydney. We're here in Melbourne. It's we just overnight them. It, it's not a big issue. Um, we can also send out like packs of these stickers. And they can just simply allocate the QR code to that asset, say it got damaged or um, it, uh, for some reason it, it, um, it stopped reading. It, they can just simply link a new QR code in a matter of a minute, a second. It's very, very quick. You literally scan QR code or enter in its number, scan the new stick and it's linked. It's very, very simple and, and intuitive. And we offer all that training. For all of our clients, so they can understand how to do that simply.
1: I think that also goes back to like what our, in general, would we want our users to be scanning and linking stuff? I think that's something that we don't necessarily want them to do because it's, we can do it for them. We can give them access to do it if it's needed. So say, so say there's a particular situation where they where they need to. Um, do lots more assets and they need to be linking themselves And we can give them that functionality and that's a very easy thing to do but what we find a lot of the time is that they just want us to do it for them um, and that's just and that's just easier for a lot of customers I think that sometimes one of the other problems we found in this industry is that with softwares the implementation of the software is the bar is just too high they they require the um plant owners or the construction companies to be kind of experts on what they on what you know what technology companies do just to implement the software, the setting up, the creating the profiles, all of that stuff is just, it's just a massive barrier to rolling out a software. And so in every point we can, we we try and do that for them, facilitate that, make it easier so that they're not having to sit there and scan a million um, uh, QR codes because, you know, they want to get on and they're, they're busy. They've got stuff to do. Mm. Um, so I think that that goes back to, like, the approach of going, you know, you you just want to always take that bar to implementation down.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good mentality to have. I think so many big ERP solutions out there, you require an internal expert just to get the project off the ground and to project manage yeah. it over A six to 12 or 18 month or five year period depending on what erp you're implementing so i think the more you can handhold the the better that success story is going to be for for that customer
1: yeah at the end of the day they can't use this software until it's like implemented so they can't get the benefits and we have to get them there getting the benefits of the software in the shortest time period possible and that means we will take on a lot of that legwork to get them on board because we want them getting the results, not be stuck going, oh wait, what am I loading where? And uh-huh, I have to stand this over here and then this. We don't really want them doing that. We want them going out, doing what they're good at in construction and we'll look after that stuff.
0: That's good. So I heard you mentioned pre-start and operated dockets uh, just previously. So maybe it'd be good just to, Give an explanation of
2: what is a pre-start and what is
0: an operator docket
2: so a, a pre-start is like a pilot's pre-flight safety check it's um it's a check that's done at the start of every shift where it's uh, uh depending on the complexity of the machine there's a range of questions to do with you know is the fire extinguisher is it on the asset is it within its expiry uh, is there fuel in it is there any damage taken and they can go around the machine answer the questions And it gives a result, the the digitized version, which all they need to do to access that is again, they scan the QR code and select do a pre-start. And an individual pre-start for that type of asset uh, appears. And with all the plant details already loaded, it takes your location and they just click really nice, easy, big buttons. They can add photos to each question. They can dictate to it so they don't have to type. And everything's updated live. So once they've answered all those questions, um, made sure that the the asset is operational and safe for use, they select submit, and then it's automatically reflected and and shown to all key stakeholders. It reflects straight away on the plant table. It reflects on the plant profile. It shows up in the mobile app um, uh, in a history of pre-starts for that asset. They can export it in a nice-looking PDF document to anyone who needs to see it, who isn't a part of SiteSmart, and it's something that we've worked really hard at making it extremely simple and intuitive to use. And the operator docket.
1: Yeah. So uh, just just to add to that, so when it, with the pre-start, when a um if a defect is identified during the pre-start, you can actually um sort of configure it so. Immediately, it notifies your mechanic. Your like your mechanic can actually get a bing notification on their phone. It'll notify anyone, like your op, you know operations manager, whoever whoever's in charge of making sure that machine is stays ready for site and doesn't have any problems with it. They can get an immediate notification if you know it's a particularly severe defect. So if it's you know do not operate or if it's a breakdown or something like that. So you, you basically, you know, for us the biggest thing is the. You don't want to just digitize existing paper processes. What you want to do is you want to use technology to leverage more efficiency. So um, just doing a, a pre-start is great electronically, but that needs to create efficiencies for the whole business. So you need to com- be able to communicate more effectively problems in the machines where they are, and then also have those problems sitting there waiting to be fixed if they are minor or moderate and they don't need to be fixed immediately. Um, so. The operator docket, so that's basically, actually, Steve, probably you're better to explain that.
2: The operator docket is basically a proof of work. So an asset goes onto a project and it does a shift. Um, And what has to happen is that operator needs to say, hey, I've done this. Uh, This was the asset I was working on. These are the hours I've worked. And it needs to be signed by someone on site to be validated. So when it comes time for that company to invoice their customer or that project, there's some proof from that customer to say, yes, your supervisor, you know, he verified this and this was actually, this work was carried out. So currently a lot of our clients who we onboard, they're doing uh, paper dockets, like they're doing paper pre-starts and timesheets and and things like that. So the docket is, again, something that you just, you scan the plant, you select, do a docket, everything's pre-filled, all the plant information the, the clients is an easy drop down, select. It's something that they can do very, very quickly. And once they've filled that out, they can take their mobile to the supervisor or they can just email the supervisor um, that docket and he can sign it. Uh, his email, the PDF copy of that, the company or the plant owner automatically gets that docket on their docket register, which they can then approve. They can then export and put into their financial um, software, be it zero or Myob or whatever they're using, and be able to invoice much more efficiently and effectively. And, and because we're doing it all from the app, it's, much, it, it's very simple and intuitive for that operator to use. Um, we're currently with the dockets. It takes maybe, I don't know, a day or two for that docket to get back to the office. Then someone has to enter it into a spreadsheet to then get invoiced. So th- this way, it's it's incredibly efficient. And and from that docket, an automatic timesheet is created for that operator. Um, so he's not double handling. So again, we're, wherever we can, we're looking at efficiency gains where we can use technology to simplify and uh, have better transparency and increase um, productivity.
0: Mm, it's very good. Like there's a lot of technology going on here. So I think it'd be great for you to talk about how the construction industry, from your perspective, has actually adopted this technology and was there any pushback was uh, have they changed over time like what's your your uh, observations being.
1: So should I go, or you go? <laughs> yeah, you go you go. yeah so I think it's a mix right, I think that it's definitely the, the trend is towards adopting technology for sure and you, we're slowly seeing the pace of that really really pick up in any organization you're always going to have like some people that are um, you know just more comfortable with the um, older ways of doing things and so you know it's about like taking them along with the um digitization process which is you know why I really think that it's really important that, you know, you're not just digitizing, you are actually like creating real efficiencies. Like you're not just um, creating it to be digital for the sake of it being digital. That's just pointless process. Um, And I think once they see that and once they see that their job's easier, once they, they see that like whatever they're doing is going to like be easier, then they'll come along a lot easier. And I think like one of the things we've also like again, from a user perspective or usability perspective, we spent quite a lot of time at looking at the different type of um, users. So, you know, your operators, you know, your operations managers, plant owners. And I always think it's really important that aside from like a company saying, we're going to use this software, I want you to use it. There needs to be a reason for you to use the software. Like it has to actually benefit you Quite outside of like the company, so when we created, for example, like the operators app, we spent a lot of time understanding like what would be things that operators would want in an application, like what would actually benefit them to have. So we've got a wallet where it's like a really cool wallet where they can store everything, all their licenses and qualifications, and that's obviously visible to the employer as well or whoever they want it to be visible for. And then you know they have a history so they can track their history of what they've done. So anytime someone's like, oh, you 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 didn't do this pre-start or you haven't done that, they've got a history where they can go, hey, look, here's what I've done. So they can sort of like show their work history as well. Um, So we spend a lot of time thinking about all the different ways that we can add value to the specific users um, outside of like, I guess, just being told to use the software. And then it's the same for the operations manager. So how can we actually make his life easier or her life easier? So I think when, when you take that approach, you can take that like resistance away because there's something in it for them.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think it's important to yeah have that, like that, that push from upper management as well. Like if you, oh, yeah. if you, don't, if you don't have the, like if you try and go from the bottom up, is a lot of resistance because the upper management are going to say, no, nope, it's just a cost. Don't want to do this. This is just adding more work to our load. Let's focus on construction or whatever the company's business in. So I think it's a bit of a double end sword. Like you want to make sure that you, you focus on the end user. And like you mentioned, I love the fact that you said, how can I make this person's life easier as, as an end user? And then also making sure you've got upper management's appraisal and push to want to get this in there. And once you've got those two things, I think the, the, all the barriers really start dropping down a lot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like there's two things that happen. Like management can say, oh, we're going to use this software. And then, you know, if the operators on the ground and the managers are not using it effectively, there was no point. Like, no, they're not good, you know, the management are not going to get the outcomes from the software. Um, If you just got the operators wanting to use it, well, you're probably not going to get very far with that. But, yeah, so like you said, it's about both at the same time. And I think, like, that's the other thing, like communication from management to the workers, sort of all of the training and stuff to make sure, just to make sure everyone knows uh, knows what they're doing. And, yes, we, we're going to adopt to this software and this is how we're moving forward. So that kind of, like, clear communication is kind of, like, a big thing as well.
0: Mm. It might be good to touch on, what the difference is between a mobile app and a web app? And what are some of the challenges that you're seeing in actually developing out these apps? Because it's not as simple as just building an app. Because I think it would be great for people to understand the amount of effort that actually goes into something like
2: this. Yeah. So I guess like like we started out in the podcast, we, we mentioned that we are actually a technology company and we have been in technology for the better part of 13 or 14 years. We have a very well-worn development methodology. Um, We have a full development house. We've got 10, 12 full-time engineers working on this project. Um, And the difference between building a good product and building a really sticky product, yes, it comes down to design, but it also comes down to um, how how it's built. And what I mean by that is when when we thought about how to design this system, initially it was just a web application. And what we realized more and more and more is, yes, this industry is slowly coming into, you know, adopting the technology, but they're not heavy desktop users. They're extremely heavy mobile users. And what we realized, what we need to do is to be able to grab all of our data that we have on our web interface and be able to present that on a mobile app and that is a that's a huge challenge not only technically but visually as well that that is a very very complicated and a big job and it's taken us the better part of two and a half years just to design uh, the mobile app to be able to reflect what is actually happening on the web side of things and and the technology we've chosen um, that was also a big decision so with the mobile apps. Because our system is completely connected, it's a huge ecosystem. What happens on the mobile app is reflected on the web and what's refle- what happens on the web is reflected on the mobile app. So there's a lot of development and uh, sophisticated architecture that we've had to build over the last, you know, I guess two and a half years to be able to do everything that we're asking our software to do. With the mobile app, we could have gone down a few route, uh, routes. We could have built, you know, a, a just an iOS app with the native iOS code. We could have gone down the Android and just built for Android. Um, but what we really wanted was to cut down as many barriers as we could. So we, Flutter is a uh, hybrid application. So we build on one source code and it will work on an Android phone and it'll work on an iOS. And the reason why we, we chose to do that was because we, we need less resources because we just need someone that knows Flutter or we actually have three people that know Flutter now and that we could do everything that we wanted to do with it. You know, It, it, it scans um, the QR codes, it, the tables load really quickly, high quality images can be updated and with the future functionality like being able to incorporate GPS that we do now and some of the uh, future functionality like scheduling and all that sort of stuff, we're able to build and scale that out on our mobile applications as well as our web applications.
0: Mm, Yeah, it's very interesting. I think it's a big challenge for someone to make that decision, whether to go Android or iOS or just to be web-based. And once you make that decision, it's hard to, to switch it around.
1: When we first had the discussion, we were leaning heavily to just build out for Apple and it was, you know, there was a phase in Australia that almost there was like ninety percent of people were on iPhones, and so there was like a really strong argument to go: Do we go both, or do we just? Because you know, there's there's advantages to um, be built solely on Apple, and then as you you just see the trend of the Android phones going up and up and up, and then we're like, no, 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 because. If otherwise, we would have had a very difficult situation. But you see it with a lot of softwares. Um, if they made the decision about five years ago, they would have made the decision to build solely on Apple, and um, that's having consequences for them now because then you yeah. have to run two complete separate developments.
0: Yeah, no, that's a big challenge. And it'd be great to understand any advice that you would give to somebody that was thinking about moving from a paper-based process onto an electronic-based process? Because there's companies out there that are thinking, oh, yeah, all my time sheets are on paper or all my pre-starts or whatever the operations is. What, what advice would you give to those businesses that are thinking of transitioning over to an electronic-based system?
1: Yeah. So the first thing I always say is make sure you're like not digitizing for digitizing sake. That's, that's never a good way to go about it. Um, you need to be looking for real efficiency. So that's the first thing. So as long as you're digitizing um, and you're going into a system that's going to give you real efficient, like material gain for your business, then that's sort of the first thing. Um, And then it's really about like how you you roll it out. So making sure you've got clear communication to everyone, making sure that for those first few weeks, you have have like some backup paper stuff and yeah, just, just rolling it out rolling it out sort of a little bit softly at first. And then, you know, because, I mean, we like we dealt with a company that had, you know, some of their guys were a bit older and they had really old iPhones. And so there's, you know, a lot of back and forth about, you know, the the older iPhones don't, they don't update anymore because Apple doesn't update them. So they don't function as well. And so, you know, that's sort of like a communication you need to have with your staff about making sure they have like more current devices. You can't be having devices that have stopped updating. And yeah, so I I think that's really the process is like make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Make sure you've got a software that's gonna give you those real um, efficiencies and benefits and then make sure the communication is clear and, you know, understand that, you know, it's going to be, you know, you're going to have a few bumps in the road, especially with um, an older generation sometimes.
0: All right, well, let's learn a little bit more about both of you. So maybe we'll start with you, Michelle, who do you think played a big influence on you from a mentor perspective?
1: Yep. um, So probably the biggest person has been my dad. Um, My dad left corporate uh, sort of middle of his career to work in sort of technology startups and things like that, and so I think watching him do like, I mean, doing technology is just so incredibly exciting, and sort of seeing him design stuff and yeah, that that was probably um, really really exciting. And then because he's got that experience, um, we get a lot of good guidance from him because he's worked in you know technology startups for years and years and years. So he'd probably be the first person. And then um, when, um, when I was in Vietnam, so uh, um, we've lived in Vietnam for five years, I've met a, a woman who was an incredible entrepreneur. And she, she was just like the most amazing, she'd built up this huge network of English schools all on her own. And she'd come from absolutely nothing and she was the most calm person I've ever met it could it didn't matter what storm was going on around her in her business and like there was some serious stuff going around her sometimes she was just always the most calm collected person and she always used to say to me little by little just little by little and I feel like that's like a thing I always have in my head anytime I'm having a hard time and she's still a really good friend of mine I I call her all the time for advice and stuff but yeah, that like, that's just that saying of little by little, little by little is really helpful when
2: you're having problems.
0: That's nice. And what about you, Steve?
2: Yeah, I guess from a mental perspective, I actually, I'm, I'm an avid reader. I love reading biographies and reading about uh, successful uh, people from business, sports, and just, I guess, I, I don't have any one Particular mentor, but I take elements of things that I like about people and I try to emulate those. So, you know, you've got the the Elon Musk's of the world. Just he just does so many different things in technology. I just find a lot of energy about or from him uh, in in, in sort of what he's doing. But I also, you know, Steve Jobs in what he created and how he did it and the way he did it. Um, So I, I take a lot of. I guess, elements from a lot of different people that inspire me to um, yeah, help you know, guide me through my decision-making.
0: Very nice. And so, Steve, if you could give some advice to your younger self, what would you say?
2: I think I would say be patient. I'm a, quite a competitive guy and I won everything yesterday. Um, and I think as I get a bit older, I realize that, yeah, just if you work hard and you're patient Things actually fall in place. Every when I'm going through, or when when we're going through, sort of stressful situations, you always you, you kind of force. Um, sometimes I can force, you know, a result. And what I've found over the, the last few years of running this business is that it all it all works out. We've got we're all, you know, fighting for the the right reasons. We're all um, trying to do the best that we can, and having a bit of patience is actually what I'm finding is something that is actually really sad, really helping actually change how I make decisions and, and how I run my day to day. So I'd say the biggest lesson I could say is have patience. And how about you, Michelle?
1: I think that for me, when I think back to my younger self, I think I was always really preoccupied with like what other people think. And, and, I, and I don't know if that's like a very female thing. And I feel like just letting all of that go and just focus on getting really good at something that you love and just block all of the noise out and focus on that. And then I guess the other thing was to just do stuff that's hard, do things that are really, really hard because, like, that's how you grow. And, yeah, so, like, yeah, it's it's funny to think back. It's, It's a good question, but it's funny to think back of when you're younger what you would tell yourself and I think it'd be just like, just stop worrying about ever whatever you're worrying about and like get good at something you love. And that's it.
0: Mm. It's funny when you, when you worry about things a lot when you're younger and then you start progressing in life in general, and then you look back at you worrying about something, you're like, that was such a minute thing. Like, why did I care so much about that? <laughs> it's like you, um, your mindset just opens up so more and become more mature and all that sort of stuff.
1: There's no way that anything you're worrying about when you're like in your early twenties is material when you're in your thirties. Like it's just it's just not. (laughs) It never is. And 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 if it is, you you probably need to grow a bit more, kind of thing.
0: (laughs) That's it. That's it. Um, All right. And so, Michelle, how do you define success?
1: So I, I guess for me, success is really about being able to get up every day and do something that I'm like really really passionate about like excited to get into work like I I feel like if you get to do that like there's not many people in the world that get to get up and be super excited about what they do and like for me that's a really really important thing and I guess then the other thing is just about balance right it's about you know making sure that your life is not too one-sided for any one thing and that uh, and it always will be at times, but like trying to create a better balance. <laughs> mm.
2: Okay. Um, and Steve? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very much in line with Michelle on that that answer. I think for me, balance is is key. You know, there's ebbs and flows. Sometimes a section of uh, my life will require more of me um, and that affects other areas. But I always try to come back and, and have a balance uh, in the areas that I value, so health and relationships and, and business I try to really balance those out as much as possible and I feel that being a more rounded person no matter what happens will make me happier at the end of the day and that's what defines success for me is being inspired and happy and making others inspiring others and making everyone happy as well at the same time because you know life's short and you don't want to live it miserable
0: that's yep very very true all right, Michelle and Steve, well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thank you for having us. This podcast episode was brought to you by our premier partner, Ken Artin.